much, Schwen family, amen, and Miss Robin, and Brother Eric for your ministry to us today. We always appreciate the music. Good music is an important part of a good church, and uh, it's not, not something to be forsaken, not something to be casually uh, changed. We, we appreciate those who minister on the instruments. There's really nothing like the love that a parent has for their child. I think about we, we're blessed here and that we celebrate Mother's Day and Father's Day. I think about, again, on those particular days, but I try to remind myself of as my children are growing older, my daughter had a great one for me this, this week when I picked up the juniors from camp. Uh, she, she had, of course, camp voice. If you've never been familiar with camp voice, it's really a blessing. It kind of sounds like this. You can tell they scream their heads off for the whole week, Brother Lolly. Amen. And she looked at me, and I had, I had taught my son Eric how to shave this week, so I, I had shaved my, my beard off, my goatee. And uh, the first thing she said to me wasn't, oh, Dad, I love you, I missed you. It was, Dad, you need to grow your beard back. <laughs> and I thought, I, you know, Brother, Brother Hauser, I, was, I love you, sweetie, I've missed you, you know. Uh, there's nothing like the, the love that a, a parent has for a child. I believe the Bible calls it natural affection. In one of the most egregious sins of the last days is that people would be without natural affection. That phrase is actually used twice in your King James Bible on two very grotesque sin lists. One in Romans chapter 1, verse 31, and one in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 3, the, the Greek word is astargos. It means inhuman, unloving. And by the way, it's just a sidebar, but I think that it is because of being without natural affection that for the last 50 years has coarsened our culture in America where we could stand by and let 60 million babies be murdered. Those who could do that day after day, week after week, year after year. How could they do that? I'll tell you how they could do that. They're without natural affection. Because I'll tell you what, this is why crisis pregnancy centers are pushing for ultrasound equipment. Because they know the second that a mom sees that baby on the ultrasound, their conscience is awakened and natural affection is harnessed. Like it should be. I, I wept when I saw my children on, on ultrasound. I wept. Look at that. There they are. Just... Just a few months in, not, not fully developed, as, as Psalm 139 tells us, amen. But I think about that natural affection 
particularly that a parent has for their child. As a parent, as parents, really, my wife and I have tried to make sure that our children have adequate food and clothing and shelter. Their mom and I have seen that they receive a quality education. And we have sought to raise them in a peaceful home where they know that they are loved. Simply because they are our children. Amen? We have tried to teach our children to be grateful. But you and I both know there is no guarantee that they will be. Many people who have been raised right live wrong. Amen? It's possible that Carrie and I may grow old. That's not possible. That's probable. Amen? <laughs> That's happening. That's why it's good not to have any gray on my face since I shaved. Amen? It's possible that we may grow old and that our children will grow in the sin of ingratitude. Possible. I hope it doesn't happen, Brother Tom, but it can happen. Amen? You know, over and over in the Old Testament, the Word of God declares that God loves His people. Over and over. I want you to go and look at a few verses with me here. Look, if you would, in Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7. First five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, God is preparing His people to go into the promised land. Deuteronomy chapter number 7, look at verse number 6, please. Deuteronomy 7, 6, it says, For... Thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself. Above all people that are on the face of the earth. He's speaking to the Hebrews here, the nation of Israel. And look at verse 7. It says, The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because ye were more in number than any other people, for ye were the fewest of all people. Then he says this in verse 8. What a verse. But because the Lord loved you. God here says to his people, I, I, didn't, I didn't set my love upon you because you were the best or the biggest or anything. He said, I, I set my love upon you because I love you. Can you hear a parent saying this? Amen to their child. I just love you. Deuteronomy, you're in Deuteronomy. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 29. Deuteronomy chapter 29. And we see here God God demonstrating his love toward his people. Look at verse number 5. 
He says, I have led you 40 years in the wilderness. I love this, this passage. I just, I just bought new dress shirts for the first time in about five years. I just because I try to hang them up right away, you know, and try to, Brother Hutchins, make them last as long as I can. So it's been about five years, and I got sticker shock when I went and looked at the, I was like, whoa, wow, look at that. Every time I read this verse, I think of it. And I've led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes are not waxing old upon you, and thy shoe is not waxing old upon thy foot. You imagine saying, somebody coming up to you, Brother Walcott, and say, boy, those are some nice shoes you got there. You say, yep. I got them in 1983, 40 years ago. No, I don't think so. Amen. What is, what, is, what is this showing us? God's just demonstrating his love for his people. By the way, we say that, we say that about tithing. You can either give your tithe or God can get your tithe. But if you give your tithe, it's amazing how the tires last a little longer. And the refrigerator doesn't seem to go out as often. And the washing machine, and fill in the blank, amen? The, the car seems to do a little bit better. God demonstrates, he's, he's showing his love for his people. He's telling them his love. Look at Psalm chapter 78. Go with me to Psalm 78. Psalm 78. Verse number 12, please, if you're there. Right about smack dab in the middle of your Bible is the 78th Psalm. Look what it says about his children. Look at verse 10. It says, They kept not the covenant of God and refused to walk in his law and forget his works and wonders that he had showed them. Marvelous things did he in the sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt, in the field of Zoan. He divided the sea and caused them to pass through and made the water stand as an heap. In the daytime also he led them with a cloud and all the night with a light of fire. He claved the rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink out of the great desert. He brought streams out of the rock and caused waters to run down like rivers. And they sinned yet more against him, provoking the Most High in the wilderness. God blessed his people. God protected his people. God provided for His people because God loved His people. And time after time after time, they took advantage of His love. Imagine how God must have felt. By the way, you don't need to imagine. All you need to do is read the book of Hosea. And that will tell you how God felt. You remember this, this, the, the book of Hosea? You may not. It's one of the minor prophets. It's 14 chapters. It's not a long book. But God tells the prophet Hosea, I want you to go and marry a harlot. A woman who sells herself to other men. And as if that wasn't bad enough, her name was Gomer. That's bad. 
And you know what God wanted us to see, Brother Hillman? That the, the way that jaded husband would feel about his wife going after other lovers is exactly how he feels when his children, when he has done so much to prove his love towards his children, and yet they go after others. Imagine that, husband. Imagine you, you shower your wife with, with love and all she wants is another man. And then next week all she wants is a different man than the one she already had. Imagine how that would make you feel. Imagine how heartbreaking that would be. Imagine a father treating his children so lovingly and yet a child treating their parents so poorly. By the way, I don't have to give a hypothetical on that. That happens every day. Some of you are experiencing that right now. Hey, listen to me, young person. There is no expiration date on the fifth commandment. There will, you know, what's the fifth commandment, Pastor? Honor thy father and thy mother which is the first commandment with promise, that thou mayest live long on the earth. You say, what do you mean by that? I'm going to say this. There will come a day when you are not the commander of your children. If they are in your house, you are still the commander, mom and dad. I don't care how big they are. Mine's as big as me right now. I am still the commander. Soon he will move out. I will not be the commander anymore. I will be the counselor. But there's never a time where, whether commander or counselor, that the child shouldn't honor the parent. Again, I come Mother's Day, and you know, again, my, my kids are, I, I, I appreciate my children, I, I really do. I, I'm thankful for the people that they're becoming. They're largely becoming the people they're becoming because they're around their mother a lot more than they're around their father. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you for no amens on that, but you know, you're, you're just being kind. I, it's okay. I understand. You're, you're kind, you're generous, and you're mistaken. That's really what it is right now. Uh, but I think, about, I think about my children. I think about every once in a while, Miss McKinley, they'll use a tone that I don't like. It's either a whiny tone or just a, a little bit of an ingratitude. And Brother Barrett, as soon as that, as soon as that tone goes off, my radar goes off. Whoop! Amen. And I go into dad mode. Hey! Who are you talking to? Now, when it's me, it's pretty rare. But sometimes I'll hear it with their mother and I'll say, just remember what that woman has done in your life. What are you doing, Pastor? I'm trying to teach them to honor. To honor. I remember watching my mom honor her mom in the last six months of her life when she had pancreatic cancer. Took care of her. And so, years ago, when my mom became a widow, it was no, forgive me, it was just a natural thing to say, hey, come live with us. It's awesome. It's wonderful. Amen. Imagine a father treating his children so lovingly and a child treating the father so poorly. Go back with me into the Gospel of John. We're going to give you some context and then get into the, the, the message here. You know, I love the character of Peter. I'm telling you, I, I just, if there's a character I identify with, it's Peter. 
You say, why? Miss Robin, because Peter was always sticking his foot in his mouth. And when you're a preacher, Brother Kinser, you just do that more often than most people do. You stick your foot in your mouth. You should be. But I think of Peter's discipleship. The Bible tells us about his discipleship when Jesus came to him and his brother Andrew and said, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. And Bryce, he left the business and followed Jesus. So his discipleship. I think of his deeds. When I think of Peter, I think of his deeds, both good and bad. <laughs> I think of how. Hey, listen, Peter was the only one beside Jesus who walked on water. Now, he only probably took about two steps. But that, Brother Lolly, that was two steps more than anybody else ever took. Amen? I think not only is, is, but, you know, listen, Peter was the one that said to Jesus, and we'll talk about it in just a moment, he said, hey, listen, I'll go with you to death. And then he proved it when the high priest came to take Jesus, and Peter took out his sword and whacked that guy's ear off. His deeds. Peter's deeds. His discipleship. You know, Peter had some difficulties too, didn't he? That's why I like Peter. It's human. Say, what was his difficulty? Remember when Jesus talked to the rich young ruler and, and said, uh, you know, uh, how hardly shall you enter into the kingdom of God if you trust in riches? You can't trust your riches to get you to heaven. And that's what Jesus was dealing with. But remember, it was Peter who said, hey, what about us? We, we left everything to follow you. You know, I like the fact that Peter had that difficulty. He didn't just say, well, it's going to be all right, you know, to, you know, praise the Lord. And he, he said, hey, he had a diff you know what else he had a difficulty? When, when he said, hey, Lord, I, I'll go with you to prison and death. I'll go with you to prison and death. Peter's difficulties, Peter's deeds, Peter's discipleship. Listen, we all know about Peter's denial, don't we? Jesus said to him, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. After Peter had said, listen, after he hacked the ear off, after he had said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with you to, to prison and death. And what happened? That is exactly what happened three times. He denied that he even knew the Lord. But then in John chapter 21, we come to Peter's decision. If you look there with me, and just, just giving you context here, We'll get to that decision in just, just a moment here. It's found in verse number uh, 3, verse, verse 2, verse 3. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go fishing. But we see in verse 1 of chapter 21, we see the master. I love it. Just, just the simplicity of the Bible. It says, after these things, in verse 1. Some, forgive me, some pretty important things took place. Like, Say the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's pretty important. His dealings with Mary. His appearances to the ten and then to the eleven with Thomas where he fell down on his knees and said, My Lord and my God. And then it says at the end of chapter 20, verse 30, 31, and many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book. But these 
are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life through his name. So after these things, so we see the master. But then we see the men in verses 2 and 3, if you look there. There were together Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, the sons of Zebedee. You say, who's that? That's James and John. They were Peter and Andrew's fishing partners. And then it says two other disciples. We're not sure who. Doesn't say. It's all right. But we see the master. We see the men. And here's the question. When you look at verse number 3, it says, Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. There are some that think that this was Peter's declaration that he was quitting the ministry. I mean, he had followed Jesus for three and a half years. And now Jesus was gone, even though he had shown himself to them twice. Nobody would quit after that, oh. <laughs> we don't, we're not sure if, if this is, or if he just said, you know what I need to do? I just need to do some fishing. After some heavy things that happened in these last few days. So we see the master, we see the men. But we see the misery in verse number 3. How many fishermen we got in here? Say amen. All right. Here it comes, fellas. And ladies. I didn't know if there's any ladies. but it says, They went forth, entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. Nothing at all. They caught nothing. By the way, that in and of itself is a great sermon on quitting on the things of God for the things of the world because you don't get anything either way. So the misery was they fished all night and not a bite. Then, you know, and I like this. In verse 4 you see something here. It says, but when the Morning was come. Can I tell you something again? Just, just a very simple, profound truth. After every night in your life comes a morning. After every fruitless night comes a beautiful morning. My dad used to tell me, and again, my dad was not a spiritual man but he said some spiritual things that I've picked up on a little bit later in life. He said, son, he was a photographer, loved to take uh, pictures, sunset, sunlight pictures. He used to say to me, Brother Shane, he said, son, there's no light like morning light. There's no light like morning light. You know, you think about it, even today, listen, ladies and gentlemen, one day the Son of God is going to come and it's going to be eternally morning. And there's not going to be any more mourning in that mourning. You know, when we mourn for someone that is gone. And the Son of God is going to be the light that lights that city. It's going to be more. Just, just a simple thing here. So you have the, the misery, but then you have the mourning. After the bleakest night always comes a bright morning. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh. In the morning, Psalm 30, verse 5 tells us. And what happens on that morning? Not only the master and the men and the miserableness, but the morning. But we have the miraculous, don't we? 
Jesus there says, it's, it's a, he said in verse 5, Children, have you any meat? They answered him, No. He said, Cast the net on the right side of the ship and ye shall find. Again, this had happened earlier at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry with Peter. Remember? Remember what happened? Peter caught all those fishes and he fell down at Jesus' feet and said, Depart from me for I am a sinful man. I know who you are. Again, imagine if you fished all night, and forgive me, some smart aleck came along and said, hey, why don't you put your net on the other side? Forgive me, I, you know, I'm not trying to add to the text here, but I would have probably told that guy to be quiet in different words. Amen? <laughs> but they do exactly what Jesus said. You know, can I tell you something? It's always blessing when you obey Jesus. Always. Read the Word of God. Blessings are always attached to obedience because obedience equals trust. Not going to obey God if you don't trust Him. So there's the miraculous. We see the Christ. We see the command. We see the catch there. And then verses 9 through 14, we see, of course, the meal. Verses 9 through 14, they recognize that it's Jesus come and dine. It's, by the way, it's very interesting. He set up that coal, that, that, that fire, coals of fire. I wonder if Peter thought about the fire of his denial. Remember when he warmed his hands next to the enemies of God? I don't know. But it brings us to the, the bulk of the message here. Uh, four, four points and some subpoints here. But notice with me the exchange in verses 15 through 17. The exchange between Peter and the Lord. It said, when they had dined, and that's another, just a small, interesting fact that I think Jesus is about to challenge Peter here, but they eat first. They eat first. Remember the feeding of the 5,000? You know what those people needed? They needed spiritual meat. Yeah, they needed food too. You know what a hungry man, a hungry man doesn't need a sermon, he needs a sandwich. Amen? Before you ever give a hungry man a, ser a sermon, give him a sandwich. And it, so we see the exchange here. He says, And when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? There's a sermon there. What's the these? Is it, is it the disciples? Is it the food that they had just eaten? Is it, I, I don't know. Doesn't say. But three different times in verse 15, in verse 16, in verse 17, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And Peter responds. So the question here in the exchange is Jesus is saying to Peter, Peter, do you really love me? Do you really love me? And that first verse in verse 15, do you love me more than these? I mean, you ate that fish like it was, you hadn't eaten in days. I mean, do you, do you love me more than this fish? Or maybe it was the disciples that, you know, were his friends. You love me more than these? I don't know. But Peter's answer is the same. Lord, thou knowest I love thee. You know I love you, Lord. So there's the exchange. But then, in the Bible, we're told not only about this, this exchange regarding love, but number two, the excellence of love. What is 
the chapter that we have read at many a wedding ceremony. I'll tell you what it is. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The greatest of these is charity, love. Now abide a faith, open charity, but the greatest of these is charity. Paul would say at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 13, uh, everything I do, unless it's motivated by love, it's worth nothing. Jesus would say, when they would come to him and say, what's the great commandment in the law? Jesus would say, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. Quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. Love the Lord. So, the excellence of love. Love is the spring from which everything else flows in our life. The exchange concerning love, the excellence of love. Ladies and gentlemen, it goes without saying that in the Word of God we have the example of love, don't we? But God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God so loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. What's the example of love? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. The example of love is love motivated the Father. The example of love is love kept the Son on the cross. And love had the Holy Spirit to move in our hearts. The example of love the excellence of love, the exchange of love, and then the explanation concerning love. Again, three times Jesus asks Peter, lovest thou me? Three times Peter answers and said, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. Now, some people get a little too deep into the Greek here and whatnot, and it's phileo love, friendship love, and agape love. And, and you know, again, I'm not against that, but get just the plain Scripture here is, is extremely interesting. Jesus asks the same question. Peter gives the same answer. And then each time Jesus says to, to Peter, who would go on, obviously, preaching at Pentecost, pastor, would say, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. In essence, ladies and gentlemen, he says this, love is proven by our life more than our lips. Hmm? So here's my question to you today. And it's a question that God asks you, Jesus asks you, Repeatedly, he asks you this. Do you really love me? 
Do you really love me? Or do you really love you? For most of us, we love us. By the way, don't get too discouraged in that. The Bible talks about that in Ephesians chapter 5. No man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it. Okay? But he says to Peter, do you, do you really love me? And so, I'd like you today to answer that question, myself as well, to answer that question with questions. A great way to answer a question is with questions. Jesus did it many times. By what authority do you have? Where, where do you get that authority? Well, let me ask you a question. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or among men? Here, here's some questions to ask yourself. When Jesus asks, do you love me? Am I grateful for all that you have done in my life? I mean, am I consistently grateful for it? Not once a year on the fourth Thursday of November. But each day as we look tonight at Psalm 103, that we think, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. You know, one of the wonderful things about getting saved a little bit later in life is there's perspective. Again, I, I am if I if I had a way, you know, again, you can't change your testimony, but if I had my way, I would have been saved young in church, never have gone off into sin, but that's not my testimony. My testimony is I was 23 years old, off living a sinful, selfish life, and God got a hold of my heart. If I forget about that, the truth is I don't love God. Or we could say it this way, I don't love Him nearly as much as I think I do. So ask yourself this question. When Jesus says, do you really love me? Am I grateful for all that you have done in my life? I was talking to somebody this week. Matter of fact, a dear preacher friend called me, and he calls me, calls me to let me know. He's called me several times this year. We don't talk very often. We went to Bible college together. He pastors down in the Farmington area. And he called me to let me know that they pray for my wife every service by name. He's like, every time we open with prayer, we mention your wife's name. And I'm telling you, it's so humbling. So, so just. And I told him, I said, you know where we're living right now? We're, we're living off, the, the, of course, the grace of God, the sufficient grace of God, the <laughs> prayers of so many of God's people that just love us and encourage us and but we're living, we're, we're living in the fact where it says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. You don't have to understand God to trust God. You don't. I could say this, all things work together for good to them that love God. That's what the Bible says. It doesn't matter if I understand. It doesn't matter if I like it. God didn't ask me for my permission to like it. But here's what he did require of me. 
in everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you, 1 Thessalonians 5.18. So, you say, I love the Lord. Okay. Are you grateful for what He's done and what He's allowing in your life? Or are you bitter? Secondly, do you love me? Am I grateful for all that you've done? Do you love me? Do I spend time talking and listening to you? Don't tell me you love God and never pray and never read your Bible. You don't love God. Maybe you're a new Christian, not, you don't understand about Bible reading and prayer. I understand that. But don't tell me you love God and never talk to Him and never let Him talk to you. When I was falling in love with my wife, we were on the phone every Sunday night for two to two and a half hours. We owned Ma Bell. Young people, these were in the days when phone had cords. And you could only go so far and then you jerk back into the room, amen. Or you'd pull it out and say, I'll call you back, amen. Get yourself all hogtied in a... No, listen... She wanted to talk to me and I wanted to talk to her and she wanted to listen to me and I wanted to listen to her. That's love! Oh, I just, I just never read my Bible. You don't love God. You don't love God. You don't read your Bible. Hey, listen, I understand some people are slower readers. I, 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 thank God, I love Bible apps. You get in your car, and you, you got a long drive. I think Brother Steve Sammons shared with me several years ago. He had been through his, I don't, can't remember when it was. It was May or, or June. He said, oh, I've been through my Bible six, seven, eight times already because he's always on the road. And he just pops that in. and you know, Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Praise God for that. But you, you can't say I love God if you don't ever talk to Him or listen to Him. And reading His Word is how you listen to Him, and praying is how you talk to Him. Again, you don't have to have deep understanding to do those two things right there. It doesn't, doesn't require a Bible college degree. Jesus asks, do you love me? Am I grateful for all that you've done in my life? Do I spend time talking and listening to you? How about this one? Do I care about what you say? Do I care about what you say? Do we care about what Jesus says about things? I think about uh, in John chapter 2, it says that Jesus uh, and his disciples were invited to the wedding of Cana at Galilee. And I had a little note by a preacher named Warren Wearsby, a great preacher from days gone by. And he said, wise is the couple who invites Jesus to their wedding and makes him the center of their home. Hey, listen, in our house, we, we don't have liquor in our house. We, we, don't, we don't cuss in our house. We don't, I mean, fill it blank. You know why? Because we care about what Jesus says about these things. We care about what the Word of God says about this. Don't say, oh, I love Jesus and then I'll do whatever I want. No, you don't. You love you. 
Remember what Jesus said to the pastor of the church at Ephesus? And by the way, I believe that's the proper interpretation in Ephesians 2 for the pastor. He said, you have left your first love. You don't love me like you used to. You don't care as much about what I say as you used to. Remember when you first got saved and, and the preacher would preach something dogmatically, give you the verse, and you thought, okay, I, I, I got to get rid of this. I need to change this. I need to, to move this around in my life. Amen. Why? Because you cared about what he said. You always, the people that you love, you always care about what they say. How much more it ought to be the lovely Lord Jesus. Do I care about what He says? About this, Jesus says, do you love me? Do I obey you? Do I obey you? That's the question to ask. Jesus says, do you love me? He said, do I obey you, Lord? Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. I think it was Tozer who said, God drew a line plain and tight. He said, on one side, he said, there are those that obey me. These are they that love me. There are those that don't obey me. These love me not. That's what Jesus said in John 14, 21. Not talking about sinless perfection here. I'm talking about the general tenor of your life is you delight to obey God in His Word. It is not, as the Bible says in 1 John, His commandments are not grievous towards us. Oh, I, gotta, I guess i got to obey God. I can't, can't drink alcohol. I can't, can't do this, can't do that. Oh, just a miserable existence. I'll tell you what, if you truly love God, you never feel that way. Amen. You're thankful that God is keeping you from some things. Like he tried to keep Adam and Eve from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But really, isn't that the brass tacks question? Jesus says, do you love me? Do I obey you? Do I obey you? I mean, about what the Bible says. I think about simple, simple things of the Christian life. I think about things like tithing. I think about things like church attendance. I think about things like witnessing. I think about things like Bible reading and prayers. Just, do I obey you? Am I going to stumble occasionally? Yes. Am I going to fall occasionally? Yes, 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 yes. But generally, am I obeying you? Am I seeking to obey you? Why? Why do I want to obey him? Because I love him. I want him to know that I love him. And that is more than just my lips. It's my life. How about this one? Do you love me? Am I grateful for all that you've done in my life? Do I spend time talking with and listening to you? Do I care about what you say? Do I obey you? Do I give you the preeminence in my decisions? That means when a decision comes and I feel this way and the Word of God says something else, who wins that decision contest? For most Christians, you do what you think. Listen, I've done it. But the, the question remains, in all things he might have the preeminence, Colossians 1.18 says. And it starts with the decisions that we make. Decisions 
produce actions. Action produces character. Character is the life you live. Does Jesus get to be first in your decisions? I I preached years ago. He should have first place in your finances. He should have the first portion of your day. Amen? you, You can just go on and on. The first day of the week. All day. All day. It's not the Lord's half day. It's the Lord's day. Amen? And you go on and on and on. Does he have first place in my decisions? How about this one? Do I love your children? When he says, do you love me? Do I love your children? Why? Because it says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, if any man say, I love God, and hate his brother, you know what he says, Brother Merklinger? He says, he's a liar. Old John, he'll hit you right in the snout. Oh, no, I, I, love, I love God. But that brother right there, I could not care less. If he, if, he was, if he was dying of hunger and I had a sandwich factory, I wouldn't give him anything. You don't love God. You don't love God. Ladies and gentlemen, what a powerful question Jesus asked. Do you love me? The answer that I have repeatedly come to is this. Not like I should. Not like I should. There's room for improvement. There's room for love. But when I think about all that He has done in my life, I sure should love Him. When I think about one day he is going to show me that, inher- that inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, I'm going to look at him with tears in my eyes and think, why didn't I love you more? Look at this. As a dad who's tried to love his children, I hope that when I get older that my children will love me. I hope. That that's the way, I think it's the way it should be. It's not always the way it is, but I can tell you this. We're made in the image of God, and all God's people said. And if we love to be loved, I can tell you this. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit love to be loved. They love it when we say, you know, I love you. Help me to live my life as an offering proving to you that I love you. The proof's in the pudding, isn't it? First John, I think it's chapter 3, maybe around verse 6, it says, let us love not in word only, but also in deed. Help our, our life to match our lips and say, I love God and mean it. Father, we love you because you first loved us.